surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk About It with Taylor Nolan, a podcast focused on mental health, relationships, dating and sex, and all-around personal development. But honestly, no topic is off-limits. I'm your host, Taylor Nolan, a former reality TV star, practicing psychotherapist, and future certified sex therapist in Seattle, Washington. I am super excited to welcome you all back to the show after taking a longer than expected break from releasing episodes every week for 100 episodes over two years, I want to say. Um, so thank you for being patient with me, and I'm very excited to share these new episodes. So welcome to episode 101. Wow. Wild. These next few episodes were recorded in Toronto. You all know how much I love my Canadians. In this episode 101, we'll be discussing virginity, sex clubs, nudity, and generally just how to be more comfortable talking about sex and various types of sexual uh, relationships. But before we get to that with my lovely guest, Dr. Jess, um, I just want to say that Moving forward with the podcast, I am definitely opening myself up more and sharing more of my own personal experiences with you all in honest hopes of creating more togetherness and hopefully sharing some lessons, some laughs, uh, some reflections along the way that are helpful in your own personal development, as well as hopefully providing some education. And prior to taking a break from the show, I really realize that sexual health has even more stigma attached to it than mental health does. So more episodes will be focused on sexual health and sharing of my own personal sexual experiences. (laughs) Um, Many of you know that I'm a practicing psychotherapist. I'm an LMHCA here in Seattle. That's a licensed mental health counselor, but I'm also currently going through training to be certified as a sex therapist. Uh, So this work is important to me both personally and professionally. And really this show would not be what it is if it weren't for all of you. So I really want to encourage you all to participate in this adventure with me. So if you'd like to share an experience you've had, lessons you've learned, or have questions about anything, mental health, sexual health, dating, social justice, um, anything that you've seen me talk about and have more questions on or that you want me to talk about that I haven't covered yet, I want you to send in a voice memo to ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. I get a lot of DMs. I'm not always able to read them and really want you guys to like physically be a part of this podcast. So please send a voice memo to ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com and you'll be featured in an episode anonymously. Uh, I'll answer your question, give some input wherever I can, um, potentially have a guest weigh in and continue the conversations around mental and sexual health and social justice and all the taboo things. I really, really super thoroughly enjoyed recording these new episodes and I'm honestly very excited to share them with you. The guests have all been fantastic. I've handpicked them myself and I'm so happy to have them as a part of the Let's Talk About It community. So with all of that said, let's talk about it. 
All right. Today I am here with Dr. Jessica O'Reilly, a.k.a. Sex with Dr. Jess. She's a sex and relationship expert with a background in education. Her research and passion involves teacher training in sexual health, and she volunteers in schools and universities to help bring better sex and relationship education, which is so, so, so incredibly needed. But Jess is also a television personality, author, and podcast host of the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast, and an international speaker who has facilitated facilitated hundreds of corporate workshops and retreats in 35 countries. There are several topics I want to get into today with her, including virginity, managing jealousy, and how to spice things up in your relationship. But as always, we will see where this chat takes us and also in advance, apologize if there is any kind of background noise. We are at a co-working space in Toronto, making it work, but let's get started. Thank you so much, Jess, for making the time to come and chat with me today. Happy to be here. I like that you opened with an apology because that's very Canadian, <laughs> right? Just you know, say yes. sorry over... Every- we don't even mean it though when we say it. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm really getting accustomed to the culture here already, as you can tell. A lot of sorry, but. <laughs> yes. Yes. I thought, that's how I should have said it. <laughs> sorry, but. So we're in a co-working space. There might be background noise. Um, so... First, I I found you, I'm not even sure actually how I found you, I don't remember, but I think actually someone might have suggested your profile because I asked people like who in Toronto would they want to see on the podcast and I'm pretty sure that's how I found you, that someone recommended you as a guest and uh, one of the things I noticed right off the bat on your profile is that you listed your background, that you are Chinese, Jamaican and Irish and my first thought in that was like, I bet you she put that there because people have definitely been like, hey, what are you? You think every damn day since I was a little girl. Yes. And it makes you wonder what you are yourself. It does. But it, yeah, it's this question, you know, where are you from? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm from Toronto. Right? <laughs> well, yep. where's your mom from? Mm-hmm. Your parents. Well, my dad's from Vancouver and my mom's from Jamaica. Mm-hmm. But where are you from? Yeah. Right? It's very confusing. I remember even as a kid explaining that I was Chinese and Jamaican on one side, mm-hmm. Irish on the other, and folks were like, you have three parents? Right? So, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a nonstop question. You must receive yes. it all the time. I do. I do. And, and I talk about it quite frequently on Instagram, and I've done a podcast episode on it as well. And some people really get it, and they're like, oh, yeah, wow, that's like really invasive and like can be really uh, violating and kind of dehumanizes you and other people just don't get it at all and look at it as this very innocent like they're trying to compliment you because you look beautiful which is just like sexualizing my race and then there's people who just kind of think you know well like yeah white people say that too because we're curious about like you know the European background and it's such a different experience (laughs) (laughs) I think think you'd be hard pressed to find a white person who hears what are you or where are you from or what's Mm -hmm. your parents background one-tenth as, as as often. I mean, I yeah. live with a white person. I'm married to yeah. a white person. I don't think anyone ever asks him unless it's relevant to the mm-hmm. conversation. If we're talking yes. about our favorite foods, you might be curious why he likes meat and potatoes. No. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 very uh, it can reduce you to your race. Mm-hmm. It can feel fetishizing. Yeah, and I think what people have to really recognize is that it's not necessarily about intent; it's mm-hmm. about outcome. So absolutely, I'm not suggesting that your intent is malicious. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that the outcome is first of all, it's tiring. 
I also don't really want to explain myself. I know, and you must know this, how Mm -hmm. it's going to be followed up with your beautiful or your exotic. Yep. Exotic for where? Right. So for instance, Jamaica is such an interesting place because people will say, well, you don't look Jamaican. I'm like, well, you should probably look up the history of Jamaica because I know you've been to a resort and all that. Yeah. But but the history of Jamaica, the reason there are so many different people in Jamaica is that, well, we were colonized. The Mm -hmm. Spanish came, the British came, the Brits brought over the Irish. Black people from Africa were brought over as slaves. Chinese mm-hmm. folks like me were brought over as indentured workers when they decided you had to pay us a tiny itty, itty bitty bit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many reasons that our national slogan is yeah. out of many one people. Mm-hmm. So I look Jamaican, you can look Jamaican, my white husband can look Jamaican. Mm-hmm. There are many different ways to look Jamaican. And if you look yeah. at the indigenous Jamaican people, like the Maroons, the, the Arawaks, many most killed off in war, just as our mm-hmm. situation is here in Canada. Most yeah. of our indigenous people have been killed. Mm-hmm. And and I love the beginning of, of what you said too, that it's not always about your intention. And that's a big part of what we talked about in our episode about what are you, which was intent versus impact. And you also kind of hinted towards this notion of like, I don't want to put in that energy. Uh, it... <laughs> There is such a high level of emotional energy that people of color and mixed race people have to put into just explaining their presence that I don't think white people are always necessarily aware of. And it's not to shame white people in that or any of that, but it's just a fact. And I think people struggle sometimes accepting those truths. I think it can be hard to hear that somebody deals with something you don't deal with Yeah, as well. And I think all of us are learning, you know, as a mixed race Mm -hmm. person like me, who's kind of passing, right? I can sort mm-hmm. of pass as white yeah. in some circles. Yeah. And everywhere I travel, I, I can often fit in. I'm in Mexico. Mm-hmm. They think I'm Mexican. Yep. I'm in Nepal. They think I'm from Nepal. I'm in India even. They yeah. think I'm Indian. And so I have that privilege mm-hmm. as well. And so I know that my struggles aren't as hard as someone else's struggles. And yeah. I think that, you know, it's, it's also a kind of a personal question. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're just becoming a little bit more mindful of how other people feel. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm curious being married to a white man and I'm curious just in comparison to my experiences with dating mostly white men, um, what your experience has been like being in this, you know, interracial relationship and how you've, you know, gone through dating in the past, if you felt like your background was being fetishized or, um, you know, that there was perhaps a, a large cultural difference with someone not being able to accept you or put you in this weird kind of exotic box? Yeah. I mean, I've definitely been fetishized never by my partner. I wouldn't stay with someone. Yeah. I would I would walk out of a date yeah. if I felt I was being fetishized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, but I've heard it from my, from my husband's family. I remember his uncle saying, mm-hmm. oh, you're Chinese and you went to that very white school. You were like a delicacy there. And I'm like, mm, I can't sit at this table. I'll, I'll tell you, my husband's an ally. He's a strong ally. He's a vocal ally. He knows that it's not going to work in any other way. Yeah. We've been together forever. We, yeah. were ki- <laughs> we were kids when we met. We've been together, uh, I think, 18 years. Whoa. 18 years. Yeah. So my whoa. entire adult life. Yeah. And, you know, he he will speak up because his voice has a different impact mm-hmm. than mine. So he's yeah. he knows that that's his job. He knows that we, he and I have everything we need. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have as much to lose. You know, he, he lost a client yesterday over calling out racism. Mm-hmm. So he's a white guy. Yeah. The client is also a white guy. And the client, you know, was, you know, Brandon called something out, uh, something out that is happening in the Canadian media right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, he lost him and he's like, good riddance. 
you know? Right. In the beginning of his career, that would have been a lot harder, but that still speaks to his privilege because being white, you can kind of teeter both sides. Even Mm -hmm. someone like me, I don't know about you, you might be able to teeter both sides Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, absolutely. I actually frequently get the, how do you stay so tan during winter? (laughs) Lord help me. (laughs) And I just, I, I joke and I'm just like, well, you know, it helps to be half black. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm just ashy. Yes. Yes. Okay, wait. Can we talk about ashiness though? Because this has been a topic, I've shared it before on the podcast, that this has kind, kind of been my marker to be able to tell when I'm dating a white guy and he says that he's dated a black woman before, but or a woman of color before, but then he admits and we stumble upon the fact that he doesn't understand what ashy is <laughs> where then I'm like, all right, <laughs> this is a new experience. <laughs> my husband knows because I can't reach my bag properly. He's got to put that cream on. I mean, he doesn't yeah. have to, mm-hmm. that's not a thing for him. There's like, yeah. de- I mean, of course there's great variation in all people, yeah. but he has more, you know, oily skin, doesn't have to moisturize or I'm like four times a day yeah. or I'm going to lose weight, losing skin. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just flaking off. It's yeah. Really- <laughs> layers of myself and it's winter time now right yeah i mean especially if, in canada if that's... they really love you don't they keep some nice like moisturizing yeah. cream in the house yeah well i love like the coconut oil rub downs or like i could like shea butter rub down yes. yeah 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 <laughs> um but wow i can't believe i didn't realize that you and your husband had been together for so long forever we we met as kids this is the story we met in a bar i was mm. we were bartending i was bartending and he was bar backing yeah. so like busboying yeah and uh, one night I was like, hey, are we uh, hanging out? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> and then we hung out, as the kids say, in his mom's yeah. purple escort. And then we moved in together maybe four or five days later. No joke. What? Yeah. Not because we knew. People are like, oh, when you know, you know. No, yeah. it's not because we knew. Because we were dumb and young. <laughs> and <laughs> it happened to work out. And it happened to work out because we worked really hard on it. You know, yeah. our, our, we have a nice relationship. He's a really nice, yeah. wonderful person. I like him more now than I even did then. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. I don't know, man. Life's good. Wow. Yeah. All right. It is time for a short break here. I want to share with you all one of the lovely sponsors that helped make this podcast possible called Ashford University. And Ashford University it provides online master's degree programs where you can learn at your own pace. You can study wherever you're the most comfortable learning. For me, when, I'm, when I was in my study mode, like... I needed to be comfy. That was super important to me. I did most of my studying from my couch, snuggling with my cats. Uh, But I know it's a new year and many of you are setting new goals, which might revolve around education. And if so, then Ashford University might be a good option for you. One of the things that I prioritized in my graduate program search was finding a university that did not require the GRE because A, I'm not a huge fan of standardized testing and uh, B, because it didn't make sense for the program that I wanted. Um, And at Ashford University, they have easy enrollment. So the GRE, the GMAT and other standardized test scores are not required for enrolling. Um, And you can take one course at a time. Um, Just being enrolled in one class at Ashford means that you're considered a full-time student. Um, So that could be really, really helpful to just have a convenient online master's program where you can learn at your own pace and just get ready to grab some new opportunities. So you guys can start your master's program today. You can enroll now by going to ashford.edu slash Taylor. That's ashford.edu slash Taylor to start your master's degree today. Again, ashford.edu slash Taylor. And now we can get back to the show. You touch on the nice piece and 
that's something I've I've shared recently on Instagram and and I've received a lot of feedback from people that just dating and and this concept of someone just being nice to you sometimes is really difficult to actually allow in Mm. that that sometimes there's this like self-sabotaging around someone just being a nice sweet person to you and questioning if you're worth that or if you really see yourself like experiencing that um not trusting it being very very skeptical of why someone's being nice to you Mm -hmm. and Obviously, I think that stems from previous relationships and how you you know how you grow up seeing love modeled for you um, and and all kinds of things. But I think it, it is absolutely beautiful when you do allow that nice and I'm currently working on that. But you should. I mean, yeah. we know that kindness mm-hmm. is the determining factor mm-hmm. in long term relationships, yep. right? We have yep. all these different factors that you know lead to passion and lasting love but yeah. ultimately it's kindness and you know there are a lot of other things i could say about my husband he's very mm-hmm. very funny yeah. he's you know quite thoughtful mm-hmm. he's very handsome to look at yeah <laughs> yeah that helps <laughs> but that's really what rings true to me is that he's nice to everyone he's yeah. not just and maybe nice isn't the word it's kind yes right? the kindness for it's, sure yeah. and yeah i recently did a, a breakup episode a few months ago ended a relationship and i think back so frequently to the fact that most of what I would say was just, will you just be nice to me? <laughs> like, just yeah. just be nice. Like, that's mm-hmm. all I'm asking. Like, mm-hmm. just be sweet, please. Like, mm-hmm. I just want you to be sweet to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I sound like super naggy, but it was like, that was, I did. I had to like nag of, just to get like, can you just be sweet and be nice? Yeah. Like, that was what I wanted. Yeah. But then when I get it, sometimes I'm like, why are you doing this? Hmm. <laughs> Yes. As you said, the modeling of love makes a difference. Yes. Um, I, I guess uh, I've always felt I deserve someone to be really nice yeah. to <laughs> And it's interesting because my parents aren't together and they're really nice to each other, really thoughtful. So for example, my father lives in our house though. So yeah. that's how nice my husband is. Yeah. <laughs> Especially yes. culturally speaking, to be like a Chinese Jamaican person, mm-hmm. for your parents to move in is very normal. For a yes. white Canadian of British descent... Uh, that's very uh, mm-hmm. exceptional. So yeah. my dad lives with us. And when my mom, when my mom brings me over food, because she's the nicest, uh, <laughs> she also packs stuff for my dad. Oh, right? They're yeah. very nice to each other, even though they're not together. And I think that's the other thing. We sometimes think that the longevity is mm-hmm. a measure of relationship when it's not. It's the fulfillment. It's It's the connection. It's what yeah. you get out of it. It's not just, are we together? Because yeah. people will say, oh, your parents are divorced. I'm like, yeah, but they have a good relationship. Mm-hmm. And then I see people who stay together. Way to go. You stayed yeah. together, but you're miserable. You hate each other and you don't like yourselves. Yeah. 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 That's, that's always the scary part. And I think that's usually a kind of warning sign to exit a relationship is when you start to realize you're losing yourself mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you don't feel good about yourself. Yeah. Right. Sometimes you're going to feel bad in relationships. It's not mm-hmm. like my husband doesn't make me feel badly sometimes. Yeah. Once a month, I make him feel badly. <laughs> At least once a month for a few days. At least once a month. <laughs> but, but I don't, I mean, I try to never make him feel badly about himself. Yeah. Right. Like you should yeah. feel good about yourself. Mm-hmm. I always said that, that with kids, if there's anything you can give them, it's a sense of self-worth, mm-hmm. right? Like, cause if, when you feel good about yourself, you want to treat other people nicely, right? Absolutely. You, you want to put that out there. And when you feel bad about yourself, there's like, we know that that yeah. translates into not treating people well. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and 
tell me if this is too personal of a question and we can skip past this, but um, one of the topics I really want to chat about is virginity. Mm-hmm. And being that you've been with your husband for so long, was that something that you experienced with him or did you experience... <laughs> I mean, you were working at a bar, so no, I'm assuming I mean, adult. <laughs> you, you had had previous partners yeah, before no, him. I actually, I had sex with my boyfriend in high school yeah. uh, at like what would have been a below average age, so a younger age. Yeah. And... Um, what is average now? So it's 16 and a half, around 16, 16 and a half. Yeah. Huh. So that it's was re- what it was when I was around that age, but I thought it had gone lower. No, it's remained fairly constant for intercourse. Sorry. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah. we can talk about the fact that of course, virginity is a social construct. Of course, mm-hmm. there are lots of different ways to have sex. But when we talk yeah. about like a P and a V, we're talking yep. about 16 six to 16 and a half uh, across North America. So that holds true for both Canada and the States. Mm-hmm. And I was, I think I was, I was either, I think I was 15 or almost 15. And I had such a positive experience. Like I went to the health station, my boyfriend offered to come with me. Uh, They, I can't remember if they did an exam, but they certainly talked to me about how to use birth control. We also use condoms. He said that if his, if I wanted to talk to his older sister, who was quite a bit older, she'd be happy to talk to me. Uh, We really talked about it before we did it. And again, and then there's, that's the determining factor in these positive outcomes with Mm -hmm. sex. Are you talking about sex before, during, after you'll have better sex. And so I was really lucky. Mm-hmm. And I, I would credit him, I would really credit probably his older sisters mm-hmm. more than I would credit myself because I didn't grow up with comprehensive sex yeah. education. Mm-hmm. I went to Catholic school. So in Ontario, mm-hmm. Canada, where I'm from, Catholic mm-hmm. schools are actually publicly funded. So you can choose mm-hmm. to go to Catholic school or public school, even mm-hmm. though there's always talk of dissolving the Catholic school system because it's an economical drain on our, on our system. Yes. But um, yes. So I, we didn't learn. It's not like I, I knew about the different options. Uh, none of my friends were having sex. Mm-hmm. So, But I had a really good experience. I don't even know that I consider it my first time because we were already doing other things. Yeah. But it's interesting because when people think about sex at a younger age, and 15 is still a younger age, mm-hmm. I, think, I, mean, I think I was 15. I don't actually remember. It wasn't yeah. something I celebrated. I think they assume that it's traumatic or that it's Mm -hmm. sloppy or that it's a poor decision or something that you regret, but I don't feel that way at all. I've been kind of lucky in that respect because even adults are having sex that feels traumatizing or sex that they regret Mm -hmm. or sex that isn't with open communication. So I guess I was kind of lucky to have an, an initial what do they call it? Sexual debut. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that well, was even, positive. Yeah. Even as you say, you know, it wasn't something I, you know, like celebrated, but it was like a good experience. Like I, yeah. I think most people wouldn't even think to use that word celebrate because mm-hmm. it's so ingrained in us that we're losing this thing and that it's a loss of our innocence and it's a loss of, you know, our potential value for future partners. And there, there's so many just interesting things around virginity that I would love for us to kind of maybe dig a little bit deeper into. Um, this is something that you spoke about, um, you know, publicly a little bit when Colton's season of The Bachelor came out of just how we're so obsessed with virginity in our culture. And like, why do you think that is? Like, I, I have some ideas around that, but... 
Well, we've made virginity a measure of morality, which is absurd because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you have sex with zero people or 1,000 people. What matters yeah. is how you treat those people mm-hmm. and how you treat yourself. So you can be a terrible, awful person and have sex with one person, and mm-hmm. you can be a terrible, awful person and have sex with 20, and vice versa. Of course, you can be a very good person. So I don't think we should worry yeah. so much about numbers. But I do think that in a culture where we... We showcase sex everywhere, but we Mm -hmm. don't really talk about it. It's one of those ways that we can talk about sex in a simplified way. Mm -hmm. And so I can say, I'm a virgin, like that says something about me. When in fact, all it says is that I haven't done a specific thing. So Mm -hmm. if if I were to say, you know, I've never traveled to Africa, Mm -hmm. what does that say about me? Nothing other than the fact that I've never traveled to Africa. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, and traveling to Africa is probably, you know, more of a challenge for most people than having sex, right? There are more barriers to traveling to Africa for the average person. So most people would talk a lot more about their travel upcoming to Africa than they do talking about sex before they have it. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. I mean, if you, if you go to Africa on a safari, chances are it's on your Facebook, it's on your Instagram. But I just had sex is only a Saturday Night Live spoof song. Yes. It's not our real I just had sex. <laughs> what does he do after bake a pie or something like that? <laughs> that was that was a great spoof that they did on on SNL. All right, we're going to take a short pause here um, to share a lovely sponsor of the podcast who you guys have probably heard me talk about before, which is Away. Um, they design beautiful suitcases that are also very durable. I travel all the time and they have features inside there that just help keep everything organized. It's super easy to carry up and down the steps because it is honestly very lightweight and I don't have an elevator in my apartment building. So lugging suitcases up and down my steps used to be super, super annoying and difficult, but I'm actually able to fit a lot of things in this suitcase and it still feels pretty lightweight. Uh, They have wheels that don't stick and a laundry bag for clothes that is super convenient. Um, And Away will fix or replace uh, your suitcase ASAP if anything ever breaks, um, which means that you never really have to worry about your luggage. They also provide you with a 100-day trial on everything Away makes. So you can take it out on the road, you can live with it, travel with it, get lost with it, whatever you want to do. And if you decide it's not for you, you can return any non-personalized item for a full refund, no ifs, ands, or asterisks. I mean, if that's not a reason to try it, I don't know what is, except maybe also the fact that in addition to a 100-day trial on everything that Away makes uh, that as a listener of Let's Talk About It, you can get $20 off a suitcase when you visit awaytravel.com slash Taylor 2019 and use promo code Taylor 2019 during checkout. Now, I know we are in 2020 now, but this code is Taylor 2019 for $20 off of a suitcase. So make sure to check it out and go to visit awaytravel.com slash Taylor 2019 and use promo code Taylor 2019 during checkout. Hope you guys check them out and hope you like them and we can get back to the show. Um, when I think back to having sex for the first time, I was with my boyfriend. I believe I was like 14 when we met. And for whatever reason, it was in my head, probably society, uh, that I needed to wait till I was at least 16. That's, for it that's to, the number where people sound a little older. It's acceptable. Yeah. yeah. And like initially before I met him, I thought I'm going to wait to have sex until I'm 18 because that means I'm officially an adult. 
Like, I was like, I don't want to be considered a whore or like a slut. Like, I'm going to wait till I'm a full adult and have sex when I'm 18. And then met him when I was like 14. And then I was like, okay, like maybe just at least like 16. And (laughs) we had, you know, done everything except intercourse for several months. And I remember my mom had asked me, she was like, Oh, like, you know, do you think you want to get on the pill? And I was like, no, I was like, I'm not even having sex. Like I had a lot of attitude. Um, not much has changed, but (laughs) I, I was just like, no, like, um, we're not even there yet. And literally like a week later, I was like, Hey, so what about this birth control thing? <laughs> That's so good that your mom asked you. Yeah. Well, she she had me like a month after she turned 20. Okay. So, and same with like it's a cycle in our family. So I've been the first person to break that cycle and in large part because we have those conversations. And um, it's something I, I've talked about quite frequently with people actually uh, Literally Monday, as I was picking up my favorite vegan peanut butter cookies in Seattle from this, these guys that uh, have a coffee shop there, uh, Sam and Barry Goods and Con- Convoy Coffee, um, who are absolutely fantastic, and, and we were just talking about you know dating, and it was like, yeah, like people don't talk about sex before you do it, and I was like, I talk about sex so much with someone before we do it. Like they know what I like. They know what I don't like. I know about their past sexual experiences. Like if you don't feel comfortable to talk about it, then you shouldn't insert inside me. Like I shouldn't feel comfortable with you being inside of me if I don't even feel comfortable discussing it with you. It's the most physically vulnerable thing. So we need to Mm -hmm. also make it personally and emotionally vulnerable to match that. Yeah. And it, it is scary to me that people can have sex but not talk about it. And I mean, even mm-hmm. just the fact that we work in this field, we're always talking about it. Yeah. And when people ask me what I do for a living, uh, people are either super curious and want to ask me a thousand questions yes. or they're quite off put by it. Mm-hmm. And they're really concerned that like all I care about is sex. Yeah. And I'm thinking, do you think dentists dream about teeth and like rub off to teeth? Or I, I mean, I don't know. Like there are lots of other things in my life. Sometimes I think I'm the yeah. least sexual sexologist because... I do like sex. Yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll take more. Yes. But there are a lot of other things in life. Mm-hmm. And there are some crowds where I feel as though I'm the prude, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I was on a, a naked cruise, a clothing optional cruise recently. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all couples and many, many, mostly people who are kind of monogamish or mm. consensually non-monogamous or just mm-hmm. people who are open-minded. Yeah. And I'm working. So I, yeah. I love my job and I have no complaints. I just have to give mm-hmm. two speeches and we were, we were in the south of France and we were yeah. in Ibiza. Like I have no complaints, but yeah. it's a wild, for some people, it's like a wild week of sex. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm like, I just want to eat the food <laughs> Yep. In, in Saint-Tropez, I just want to like take in the beaches of Ibiza. Yeah. And I'm like, am I not sexual enough? And so even mm. as a professional, you start to compare yourself and say, yeah. am I enough? Am I doing enough? And I, my husband was with me. I'm not going to go on one of these cruises by myself, yeah. let me tell you. And yes. I was thinking, is he bored? Is he thinking like, well, all these, like, first of all, let's be clear, 750 people on the cruise. Mm-hmm. Not everyone's having orgies, but yeah. more than on an average cruise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yes. You're, you're seeing more penises than. 
and boobs and yeah. vaginas on this cruise than he would on a normal one. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I would say it's a more sexually active crowd yeah. because this is part of the appeal of this cruise, right? Mm-hmm. You can go on this regular cruise normally where it isn't focused on the erotic and the sexual. But I, I remember thinking to myself, am I doing enough here? And I said, first of all, I'm working, so I'm not messing around or yeah. anything like that. But we can still use the ambience and the, the energy to fuel our own sex lives. Mm-hmm. And I said to my husband, I'm like, do you want to be doing more? Like, do you want to go to the yeah. playroom? Do you want to go out more? And he's like, no, nah, man, I'm tired too. So. <laughs> and, and, you yeah. know, five years from now, we might go on that same cruise if they'll mm-hmm. still have me. Yes. <laughs> and and yes. I might feel really differently. Mm-hmm. So, and that's part of, you know, evolving as a couple, evolving yeah. on your own and being okay with your own sexuality. Yeah. But those, those standards of, I have to wait till I'm 16. I remember mm-hmm. thinking that way too. Yeah. And then it all went out the window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, and also there's all these other constructs around that, right? That it's like, not only, oh, well, I'm going to wait till I'm 16, but well, like it's with my boyfriend. Yes. Of course. We're, no, we're in love. Yes. We're in love. Yeah. He loves me. Yeah. Yeah. And all, that is also very, very gendered. It's mm-hmm. highly gendered because yeah. women are taught if you give it away, mm-hmm he will leave you, yeah. right? In the hetero context. Mm-hmm. And so we have this notion that we might be being used. And what does that tell us about our own pleasure? Yeah. Because I didn't have sex because there was any pressure to do so. Mm-hmm. I had experienced what it felt like to do all these other things. I was like, well, let's do that other thing too. Yeah. Because if there's another thing I can try, yeah. I'd like to feel that orgasmic response mm-hmm. again. And I think it's also really interesting the way we we break it down to one specific act because yeah. if you're having oral sex, are you not having sex? Yeah. Right? If I'm a lesbian and I'm only having sex with women and I've never had a penis in my vagina, am I a virgin? Come on. This is so absurd. And we've got yeah. T.I. out there mm-hmm. spewing the nonsense about his daughter. And, and you know, oh, and, and people are saying, well, she's an adult. She could have said no. And I'm thinking, but what about the power? Yeah. The pow- Who is economically more powerful, mm-hmm. socially more powerful. Yeah. And, and it's a parent-child relationship. Yes. I heard she unfollowed him. Really? Yeah, I just heard that she unfollowed him. I also heard that she liked some of the tweets that were calling him out. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a great source for these things, so... I mean, I'm <laughs> Google kinda, that. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> double, double check our uh, source here. But yeah, I mean, I'm kind of for that passive-aggressive, like standing up for herself, being able to speak out without fully having to speak out. Right. Because... There are a lot of power dynamics there, and I'm sure that's incredibly uncomfortable for her. For anybody. I mean, I can't imagine. And that's the thing with children of celebrity couples or celebrities themselves. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily opt into the spotlight, but they're thrust into it. And that's got to be a very specific challenge to navigate just coming of age, but also having relationships. Yeah. Right? And anyone who's in the public eye even a little bit, Mm -hmm. you you wonder, what do they want me for, right? Is the allure my attachment to celebrities or my own celebrity in, in and of itself. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's a difficult thing to navigate. Yes. And to let your guard down. Yes. I don't claim that I'm a famous celebrity person, but I do still get recognized from the show. And that is something that crosses my mind when I am dating is like, is this person just using me because they want like business opportunities mm-hmm. or like, because I'm just this really like shiny thing. And it for sure makes me put my guard up. And in other ways, 
I just try to say like, well, you know, fuck it. Like this is my life. This is, I do want to be open and I do want to share my life with whoever this person is that I'm interested in and that they're interested in me. But it's a, it's a fine line to walk and it's really, really shitty when situations do happen where you do feel like you were used and it makes it hard. And that can happen with friends as well. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I, you know, and again, we're not talking like we're these huge celebrities, but if you have a little bit of access or a little bit of a platform, Mm -hmm. I do notice that people come back into your life and you have to be a little wary and that kind of, it sucks. Yeah. And when you said, I want to go back to this cruise for a second, um, (laughs) because when you're at this cruise and you're there professionally, Mm -hmm. um, but people I imagine are also trying to get to you personally. Um, not really because, so they know me from Playboy TV. Yeah. So they, so they kind of, uh, and I'm teaching mm-hmm. while I'm there and they're not really trying to sleep with me or okay. anything like that. Uh, I, that happened before I did the Playboy show. Mm. Right. So, but no, I find that people are super respectful. There are always going to be people who, you know, push yeah. a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, in any environment, but I think yeah. because there's such an emphasis on the communication and the consent mm-hmm. in this group, uh, let true. me not idealize it because there are always going to be outliers because mm-hmm. humans be humaning, yep. but I, people, I don't really feel that pressure. Yeah. Um, now a lot of people will feel that they know me. And in fact, they do mm-hmm. from the podcast yeah. and they actually know my husband as well because mm-hmm. he co-hosts it. And yeah. so they will know us and it's, it's singular in its direction because we mm-hmm. don't know them. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's actually very humbling, mm-hmm. right? But it also, you have to set different boundaries. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll say overall, people are so kind and so mm-hmm. nice. Uh, you get this as a woman, you get the outliers where somebody's just dying to see you naked because, so I, I go to this cruise, but I also go to the, these resorts. So it's called desire resorts in mm-hmm. Mexico. Okay. And so it's clothing optional and I love mm-hmm. to be naked, yeah. but I don't want my photo taken mm-hmm. and I don't want to be gawked at and I don't want to be yeah. measured up. I just want to be naked. Mm-hmm. I want to feel like the sand. I want to feel the sea. I yeah. want to feel the sun. And I don't want a stupid wet bikini mm-hmm. ever yeah. holding me down. Like once you <laughs> swim naked, wearing a bikini or a bathing suit is yeah. torture. Yeah, I don't, I can't say I've ever done it, honestly. Swim naked. Well, you are in Toronto. There is a nude beach. It's negative 10 out there. Yeah, it's a bit chilly. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit chilly. Um, Yeah, I've I've never, I've been to a nude beach, but I didn't go into the water. There's like one nude beach in Seattle and it's mainly like a lot of gay guys. Yes. Yeah. And I went with one of my, uh, guy friends that is gay and one of my uh, heterosexual uh, girlfriends. And yeah, it was a few summers ago and we just all kind of hung out. We were like, oh, this is what people do to nude beach. And just like, I got rid of my uh, tan line on my butt cheeks and (laughs) just kind of hung out. Yeah. It's, it's so, for me, it's so freeing and you know, nudity to me, I don't know if it's, um, if it's a more of a Canadian thing or if it's just personal, it's, it's just your body, right? There's nothing really to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I, I do run into the odd person who's kind of trying to scope you out naked. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, had this guy on Facebook who kept messaging me saying like, if I post a picture, he'll say, Oh, you look beautiful, but not as beautiful as you looked naked on the beach at desire. And he'll name the month and the date. And I'm like, okay, well that sucks because you're, 
you know, I believe that I'm just enjoying myself yeah. there. If I were to wear clothes, people would judge me, mm-hmm. right? Because it, it, listen, it's not a nude and prude thing at Desire. You can be naked or you can be not naked mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be. Yeah. But when everyone's naked, you actually want to get naked. Mm-hmm. And it's such an equalizer. It was a life changer for me to yeah. go down to this resort. I was so young uh, when I first went and everyone was older than me. Mm-hmm. And to see all different types of bodies and yeah. not only is it, clothing optional, but there are areas where you can have sex, just like specific areas. So there's this mm-hmm. big rooftop jacuzzi at one of the resorts and then a main floor jacuzzi and they're huge. And everyone kind of congregates there at sunset and there are these four poster beds all around and you can have sex on them. Desired resort? Desire resort. Desire resort? <laughs> okay. on, in- on Instagram, it's desire okay. experience. It's so cool. But what okay. was so cool for me at 26 years old was seeing all different types of people mm-hmm. having real sex. Yeah. And it, it revolutionized the way I feel about my body. I'm not lying. I hmm. really am less afraid of, of the way my body will change yeah. as I age because these women were enjoying sex. Mm-hmm. Like they had something I did not have. And it was a confidence that mm-hmm. you just... I just didn't have at that age. I don't, I didn't dislike my body. I was never kind of raised with super negative messages. And that comes partly from, you know, being Jamaican Mm -hmm. where there is a broader sense of beauty. Like my mom Mm -hmm. used to say, what don't kill you, make you fatter. Like (laughs) so it was a positive thing. Like fatter was a positive thing. And so at the same time we have the Chinese side, which was a huge emphasis on being skinny. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I I was pulled in both directions, but anyhow, these women just you know, kind of knock my socks off walking yeah. the runway. They do like lingerie shows at night and, wow. you know, people who look like they belong on a magazine get the same applause as people who, first of all, everybody belongs on a magazine, but people yes. you would normally see on a mm-hmm. magazine. Yeah. Uh, so it's so cool. So cool. Wow. That it almost reminds me of the scene in Big Mouth. Have you watched Big Mouth I on haven't, Netflix? but I've heard such good things about it. Oh my goodness. It's absolutely amazing. I'm obsessed with Big Mouth. And in one of the episodes, the girls are feeling really insecure about their bodies. Uh, Missy has really small boobs. And so she's feeling like really insecure about that. And her mom takes them to a, like a naked spa. And they see all these different bodies. And it's she's just kind of like, oh, wow. Like... No one cares. Like your body's just your body. Mm-hmm. But I think an experience like that, it, ma- it makes sense that it would be really empowering and you'd be able to look at sex and your body in a very different kind of open-minded way. Um, so I feel like I need to check out this resort now. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I, for me, it was life-changing and I, I continue to go down there and work. Like I teach different yeah. sessions down there uh, and we always look forward to it. Like I just, it's nice to be naked. Yeah. It's nice also to feel the sexual energy because hmm. I, I would say probably 50% of people there are monogamous. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a mix, okay. but it's just the energy of if, for example, my husband and I are more, we used to be more exhibitionists. So mm-hmm. it would be fun to have sex on the beds yeah. while everyone was in the jacuzzi and you're, you're mm-hmm. not really paying attention to them, yeah. right? It's not like they're sitting around watching mm-hmm. or, you know, evaluating you or something. That's what yeah. I'm doing because I'm the sexologist. No, just yeah. kidding. <laughs> A little to the right, 20, 25 yep. degrees to the left. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Observing all the things. Yeah. And so because sharing this experience at the resort, but then I've also heard just a lot about Toronto and it having quite a sex scene. And I've heard there's, you know, a few sex clubs here and I'm curious what your experience has been with them Mm -hmm. and how that works for you and your relationship and just 
I think people hear sex club and they think this like dingy, like underground, mm-hmm. like, you know, really sweaty, stinky, like just really weird vibes. And I've never been to one before. I will potentially by the end of this trip, we'll see. <laughs> but okay. Yeah. So there's a sex club downtown called Oasis Aqua Lounge. That's the one I've heard of. And it is taking it from the back room to the living room. So rather mm-hmm. than being in a dingy strip mall, out on the outskirts. It's in the middle of our city. It's across from our old Maple Leaf Gardens, which is where our, our Maple Leafs played hockey for many years. <laughs> yes. it's, it's actually really close to my house. You could almost walk. Yeah. So it's downtown. It's in an old mansion. So our, we're in a city here. So our mansions aren't like LA mansions. Mm-hmm. Mansions are not huge here because yeah. you know we're, we're dealing with city prices. Yep. yep. But it's in an old house. It has, uh, but it's all renovated and it has so many different levels. So it has uh, a pool with a jacuzzi outside and it's yeah. superheated. So even in the winter, it's kind of sexy to jump in there. Mm-hmm. Of course, you have your locker rooms on the main floor there's a dance floor and a bar and some poles and as you go up there are all these different rooms so there's rooms that have more kinky stuff there's rooms that are a little bit more romantic i believe they're always changing it but there are rooms where there's a glory hole if that's what you're into there's the ones with the single way mirrors who if you're an exhibitionist you you can go on one side if you're a voyeur you go on the other uh there's actually a shaggin wagon where they have an old vw uh what do you call it like a big van thing and they've cleared it out and put a mattress in it. So it's kind of a fantasy land. And what, what's really cool about Oasis yeah. versus so many other clubs, because oftentimes clubs are really great and they tend to focus mostly on swingers. Yeah. Oasis isn't like that. They have a night for trans folks. They have a student night for the university students where they get a discount. They have couples nights. Of course, they have swinger nights. They have femme only nights. So oh. for women, they have all these different themes. Like I saw one once and I wanted to go where the it's just hot men who wait on you <laughs> so that you can eat off of them. They can be your human table if that's what you're into. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so as I say this, I know that this will sound super out there for some people, but what I really believe that there is such huge value, not only in being around naked people, if, if not, not that everyone's naked there, but, mm-hmm. but also in seeing real live sex. Yes. Because when you see real live sex, you realize that it's not all like the chimpanzee. Ooh, ooh, yeah. Ee, ee, ooh. It's it's it can be very varied, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there's such a broad spectrum of what people enjoy. Yeah. And I love the idea of you know some of the couples I work with will go to the sex club never to participate, mm-hmm. but just to be there and yeah. have those discussions and put themselves in situations that feel a little tense. Mm-hmm. Not if you're in a bad place in your relationship, but if you're yeah. in a good place, uh, you know the foundation is there. You've got the trust, the communication, the respect, the honesty mm-hmm. to push your boundaries and do something that feels a little risky. Yeah. can really take your relationship to another level. So I'll always tell people like the rule is if this is your first time, set a time limit, mm-hmm. decide how many drinks, if any, you're yeah. going to have. Um, agree that, you know, if somebody talks to you, how you're going to set your boundaries. Like don't dive in and think, oh, I'd mm-hmm. really like to go to a sex club and I'm going to have an orgy. Yeah. <laughs> the first time it's, it's hands off, you do nothing mm-hmm. and then you can work your way up depending on your comfort level. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I do think that seeing that real sex and seeing real bodies can make such a huge difference. I've recently, I'm like, I'm a little late-ish to like the masturbation experience. And um, as I've tried to figure out, you know, like how, how does this work for me? Um, I've watched a lot of Erica Lust films and have super, super enjoyed um, on X Confessions, just seeing people that like, you know, 
have hair on their armpits Mm -hmm. and like have hairy legs Mm -hmm. and like, you know, are going to reach for the lube and things like that, that it feels like, oh, that's just like a real normal experience. Like I can relate to and like I can put myself in that situation and it does normalize a lot of some of these insecurities that I think we, we grow up having around sex. And I mean, my thought with the sex clubs, I think, I don't know. I, I definitely want to go. I, I saw that they have like a naked karaoke oh night. <laughs> you know. It's not porn karaoke, is it? No, it just said naked karaoke. Oh, so it's regular karaoke. Yeah. But naked. But naked. Oh my gosh. I feel and like my husband would love that. He loves karaoke. He doesn't love being naked as much, but mm-hmm. I think he could get into it. Yeah. It's, I mean, I don't know. I, I do think part of me just enjoys putting myself in uncomfortable social situations just to like observe and like see how I react, see how the person I'm with reacts and just like check out just the the new different dynamic. And I get it can be a scary place for people to go. And I love the advice of just taking those first steps of like observing the first time and setting those boundaries and communicating about that up front. I think that can be super helpful. Um, I'm curious what, if there's like a night that you've been that like that you totally loved or like... So so I'll be honest, I work a lot and I travel yeah. a lot. So I'm not in Toronto a lot. So the times that I've mm. been to Oasis, it's because I was teaching there. So on Saturday mm. nights, they'll have a workshop. And mm. so I'll teach a workshop. But what I found on those Saturday nights when I've been there, mm-hmm. my husband's one of those people who will always like show up and help me out a little, yeah. uh, especially when it's at a sex club. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he, he came... He came to the club. He came. He came. He came. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. he came. Mm-hmm. And people were just cool and they were dancing and having a good time yeah. and it was light. So we ended up staying all night. So mm-hmm. even though I, you know, paid to be there from say nine to 10, yeah. we ended up staying all night long and mm-hmm. we ended up, here's the other cool thing. We ended up actually taking a private room. So I think they also have a couple of rooms where if you mm-hmm. feel all aroused and you're really enjoying yourself, but you also mm-hmm. want to go on your own, maybe mm-hmm. it's a group of you, maybe it's two of you. I think if I recall correctly, last time we went way up top and they'll give you a key and mm-hmm. you can go to one of these rooms. So you can really dip your toe in or dive in head first, kind of however much you want. So it was a Saturday night yeah. um, every time I've been there that I really, really enjoyed. I haven't seen, I, I see they have all these cool events and mm-hmm. I, you know, I, the truth is I just am always traveling. And when I get home, yeah. I'm home for two, three days mm-hmm. and I just want to stay on my blue couch yes. in my bedroom yes. and not talk to anybody. Yep. I feel that. And I perhaps that. not have sex, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think, yeah. I think you'll really, I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, one thing I noticed at Oasis and other sex clubs like it is that people let their guard down a little bit more. Like mm-hmm. if you go to a regular nightclub, there's a more performative element to it. Totally. Um, people aren't drinking as much, first of all. Mm. So people are not getting drunk at Oasis. Yeah. Right? At a regular nightclub, people are ordering bottles. And in fact, they mandate that you... And, 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 and it's yeah. kind of a problem that they mandate you must purchase... You know, mm-hmm. if there's four guys, you have to buy two bottles. It's like 50 ounces of booze for four people, right? Yeah. It's absurd. Yeah. So you won't see people drinking as much. Um, I believe... I have to check on Oasis's cannabis policy because here in hmm. Canada, yeah. uh, cannabis is legal. Yep. So in Seattle I, too. Yeah. I think maybe they have um, different events around that as well. Hmm. Sex and cannabis. I don't know if you've yeah. covered that yet. I have not covered that yet. I'm very curious to try out like some lube though because mm-hmm. I've heard amazing oh, I things. I should have brought you some. <laughs> 
<laughs> I've heard amazing things, but haven't haven't tried it yet. Um, yeah, even slightly late to the lube game, but I'm I feel like I'm learning so many things, and having all these kinds of conversations definitely helps as well. Um, and I, yeah, just thinking about everything that you've said about the sex club, I think really helps to knock down some negative stereotypes that people might have listening. Yeah. Basically it's like going to another nightclub. It's not as crowded. People don't drink as much. And if you want to find the spaces where sexier stuff is happening, you can. Mm -hmm. Now, if you expect to walk in and see orgies everywhere, you're going to be let down because that doesn't always happen, (laughs) right? Ultimately people do what the mood strikes them to do. Mm -hmm. And the crowd is going to vary from night to night. I mean, I'll be honest, I've been to other sex clubs that are kind of dirty and seedy and I've wanted to leave. Mm -hmm. You know, I went to one sex club in South Florida once where we went into a private room and I guess the lock wasn't working and they allowed single guys that that night and somebody just kept pushing it open and we had to yell at him and say, and we were like in the middle of it. My husband was like, come on, I'm almost done. (laughs) (laughs) And he's he's up on his knees on the mattress, holding his hand against the door, (laughs) holding it shut. So, I mean, and those type of, I mean, I'm I'm making a joke of it, but those type of consent violations can be really frightening. But overall, uh, you know, if you, if you do a little bit of research, you'll find great clubs. And I'll tell you this, most good clubs will also have an orientation session for newbies. Yes. So for example, I know several sex educators in Toronto Mm -hmm. who will take you to Oasis and walk you around and show you around. Actually, Luna does that. I should see if Luna's available to take you around because she's, Luna Matadas is another sex educator. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another woman of color does like just the most amazing work. She has the brand Peg the Patriarchy. I do you know think the I've t-shirts? seen that. Yes. yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So she's Toronto based as well. So she'd wow. be a great. And I do think that the clubs that are really um, focused on people's safety and enjoyment and mm-hmm. not just on making a buck or not just on getting their own rocks off yeah. will have opportunities for you to learn, not just to come and engage, but to learn. I love that because it helps create more of a sex positive community and helps you to better be able to have sex not only with yourself, but with your partner and with future partners. And I think all of that education piece is so, so, so important. Um, One thing I I usually start off the episode with when I have someone who is an expert or, you know, a a professional in, in their field is what made you get into that field. And I'm curious if you could share with us a little bit of just how, how you how you got here? Yeah, I was a high school teacher. So as a high yeah. school teacher with the Toronto District School Board in Toronto downtown, mm-hmm. I was working in an alternative school with with students who were sixteen to twenty one. Most of them were either street involved, probated, uh, you know, back to school mm-hmm. with a probation officer. Uh, so they were con- considered what we call at risk. Yeah, and you could see the cost of a sex education system that was failing them. So mm-hmm. they were coming to me with unplanned pregnancies. They were coming to me living with abusive partners. They yeah. were coming to me, you know, getting really really high for days and all of this relates to sexuality and relationships. And so I said, you know, we have to do better. And we actually do have a decent sex education system here, Mm -hmm. um, especially the fact that our our curriculum is actually mandated at the provincial level, so the state level. So it's not about principals or school boards deciding it's mandated by the government. Mm -hmm. But of course, teachers don't have the supports they need. So that's how I got into it. I was a teacher and I wanted to develop programming to support teachers. And I still do that. I volu- It's not a big part of my business, but it's what I do on a volunteer basis. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
I love That's it. That's fantastic. Yeah, and you know, I didn't when I when I graduated, I was like, oh, I'll get a job with the school board as a sex education consultant. And they were like, who, what now? Yeah, <laughs> don't you ever call us again, <laughs> right? And so then I yeah. had to forge a different path. So I started speaking yeah. and writing and doing some media stuff. And yeah. it's funny, full circle though, it brings me back to the school board because now that that old guard has moved on. Mm-hmm. And they're more evidenced and research based. <laughs> they- we, we just we have to explain this right now. Outside of our window, there is a very fluffy little dog with a, the most adorable sweater on. His sweater has ears. <laughs> Squirrel. That is too cute. I'm so glad you interrupted because I find it really hard to focus when there's a cute dog. Yes. Some people are into like men and women and bodies and they're distracted by sex. I'm distracted by dogs. <laughs> I'm, I'm mainly distracted by cats, but oh, this kitties. little dog will do as well. Um, I say I'm, gonna... I'm a dog pervert because I, my dog died in April and we haven't gotten a new one. I did see your post so now on that. I want to touch every dog. Yeah. Come here, little puppy. I've got candy. I've got meat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can also take a mini break and you can go out and no, pet the okay. dog. I'll pet him after. Yes. They're laughing at me from out there because they can see that I've got all eyes on this dog. Yes. But the dog's getting lots of attention. I always Definitely. think about dogs and how everybody touches them and how much affection they get and how deprived we are as humans. Stop. Literally. Oh my God. Who was I just speaking with? Oh, my, my super dear friend, Colin, he and I were chatting and he realized in one of his relationships, he, she didn't like to be touched. She had been in previous relationships that were very physically abusive. And so she just was not about the physical touch. And so for a long time, he shut that piece of himself off and he was just reflecting on the fact that recently he thought having his cat, Tom, he was like, yeah, with my current partner now, I've, I've been a lot more affectionate. I think Tom, my cat, had a lot to play in that part actually. Actually, and I was like, stop, this is amazing. He was like, yeah, like just, you know, being affectionate with Tom and, you know, getting to like physically touch and play with him like that and snuggle, like has really brought out this more physically affectionate side of me with my girlfriend now and I was like see this is why animals are amazing they really are and when you think about say for instance a a 16 year old boy who has been told Mm -hmm. that he's not supposed to be weak he's not supposed to be affectionate he's allowed to touch only for sex Mm -hmm. and certainly we're seeing shifts because young folks are getting smarter than us thank goodness Mm -hmm. but they can still be super playful and almost Mm babyish with a dog so it allows or a cat so it allows or hamster whatever you're into (laughs) a goldfish can you pet a goldfish? No, I think a goldfish would die. I don't this know. This is why all my fish died. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're like, love me. I just want to snuggle. <laughs> but yes. I think that it's it's uh, important to look for other outlets of mm-hmm. affection. The other thing I see when we have desire differentials in relationships, when people are like, mm-hmm. oh, I want to be touched more. And their partner says, no, I feel overwhelmed. I, You know, if we get away from this monogamous lens of trying to get all of your needs fulfilled by one person, you're able to say, well, what are other sources of affection? Because mm-hmm. we're not going to force your partner to be affectionate. And you can't ask this one person to do everything for you. So can you be affectionate with your animal? Can you be affectionate with your kids? Can you be affectionate with extended family and and friends? Because, and I see this often, these differentials in affection desire, not Mm -hmm. just in sexual desire, Mm -hmm. but there are many other outlets and you can always find a compromise if you get over this romantic notion that one person is going to fulfill all your needs. (laughs) Just... 
all the snaps for that. I I feel like there needs to be so much more education just around that piece in and of itself. And the conversation around monogamy is so emotionally fueled. And I'm, I'm trying my best to have it, but I love everything you just said. <laughs> I think it's fear-fueled. 100%. 100%. It's a fear that, A, I'm going to lose my partner, mm-hmm. despite the fact that the data says that commitment, trust... And and uh, passion are mm-hmm. just as high yep. in consensually non-monogamous relationships. Mm-hmm. It's this fear that you're going to feel more jealous, but jealousy is actually lower yeah. in consensually non-monogamous relationships. And then I think if you really know you're monogamous, because some people really are, mm-hmm. it's this fear that someone in an open relationship is getting something you're not getting. Oh, right? yeah, this, that's a good one. That, usually when we're judgmental of something, there's mm-hmm. a piece of it that we either want yep. or we see in ourselves. Yep. And, you know, of course, in many cases, we want to have our cake and eat it too. Not everybody. Some people are really fulfilled in monogamy, but not everybody is. And I think the problem is we opt in, we don't opt into it. We fall into it. It's our default. It's like, well, we've been dating two years, so we should move in together. Mm -hmm. We've lived together a year, so we should get engaged. We're engaged. We have to get married. We're married, so we should have children. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you wonder where part of your life went. Now that can be a beautiful chain of events, Mm -hmm. if you've thought about all your options and you say, oh, you know, you know what? I want to move in together or, you know what? I really want to marry you or, you know Mm -hmm. what? I really want to have kids. But if you just do it by accident because you think it's what you're supposed to do, that's when you run into problems. Yeah. And unfortunately, I do think that that is the the path most people are in, in relationships. And that's one of the things I tried to call call to the front when I bring up monogamy is that I just want people to be reminded that it's a choice, mm-hmm. that it's not, it does not have to be the default, that there are other options. Mm-hmm. But I think like you said, all those three fears come up, but I think maybe a fourth one is that we then fear that we're not enough. It becomes this wow, this person, like, why can't I be that for you though? Like, again, this notion of wanting to be someone's everything. I can't tell you how many messages I've received when I talk about this of like, oh, like you must just feel really insecure about yourself. Like, oh, I'm so (laughs) sorry that like someone made you feel like you weren't enough and that you can't like, you know. You're not enough. Yeah. And like, I'm like, I'm like, no, you're a hell of that's a person. what I'm saying yeah. is like, yeah. I can't be everything. Yeah. And that that's so unrealistic to not only put on myself, but to also then put on my partner. And that it creates so much of this pressure between the two of us that then we're just like mindlessly walking along this path of all these milestones and these things that we think we're supposed to be doing, but not necessarily doing them intentionally. And then I think you're really just, you're like walking through life with this very blurred lens and it, 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 I think, just creates more disconnect for not only with our relationship with ourselves, but also with our partners. And, and I mean, imagine we did that in any other realm. Like, yeah. we're friends. You, well, aren't I enough? Why do you need another friend? Yeah. Right? Why do you, uh, it, it's sort of when you think about a child when, when you get pregnant and you have a baby, mm-hmm. the el- older child inevitably feels a little bit of jealousy, yeah. feels a little bit of threat. However, that two, three, four, five-year-old mm-hmm. is able to work through that yes. <laughs> with yeah. support. So if a two-year-old can do it, mm-hmm. an older person can do it as well, hopefully an adult. But if you take yeah. the expectations we put on intimate relationships and apply them anywhere else, you know that they're going to fail. And the data says that they're mostly failing anyways, yeah. right? We've got a 41% divorce rate. We've got mm-hmm. a 24% infidelity rate. Marital satisfaction rates are on the decline. Marital rates are on the decline. Yeah. So we have to do something and mm-hmm. say, 
how can we think more outside the box? Does that mean we need relationship anarchy in which Mm -hmm. there are no rules whatsoever? Sure, that works for some people, but it doesn't work for everyone. But at least have that conversation about monogamy. Otherwise... It, otherwise it's toxic. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and I think most people envision this just anarchy of a relationship as what non-monogamous relationships are. That immediately because it's not monogamous, that mm-hmm. it's just this chaos and just having sex with a bunch of people all the time. And it's like, the, that's quite unrealistic that people actually live like that. Like, Of course. And polyamorous, for example, the focus is on the relationship, on yes. the love. Yes. And even for the small, like it's a very small people who practice relationship mm-hmm. anarchy, really what they're saying is that they don't necessarily prioritize one over another. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm sure that can be challenging, but so can monogamy. Yeah. You'll always hear people say that like, oh, well, I knew someone in an open relationship and they broke up and I'm like, oh yep. my God, have you ever met someone in a monogamous relationship who broke up? Yep. Yep. yep ever? Yeah. Yep. Right. At some yeah. point. Right? Yeah. Someone in your family, someone sitting at the table, like all of these, uh-huh. have you ever broken up with someone? Yep. yep. And monogamy failed, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we don't blame monogamy and I wouldn't blame yeah. monogamy. There are lots of reasons why relationships fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not necessarily because of the dynamic that, you know, that the relationship was, was put under. Um, I so, so, so appreciate this conversation around monogamy and I really, really want to continue it. Um, but we have to kind of wrap up a little bit. And one thing I want to make sure to talk about in future episodes, especially with, uh, the, the women guests that I have, because I think female masturbation in and of itself is a bit stigmatized and in a way over-sexualized. And I also think even for myself, like I didn't feel like I knew or heard enough women speaking about it to have it be a normalized thing for me. So I'm hoping that kind of asking this question will be helpful for listeners who maybe haven't experimented with themselves in this way and for maybe those who do feel any kind of shame or guilt around it. Um, but I'm curious for you when when you first started kind of experimenting with masturbation and then fun question, if you have any favorite toys that you would recommend. Yeah, so I do recall that I masturbated from a really young age yeah. and I don't believe it was sexual. It was mm-hmm. more yeah. a, a rubbing. Totally. That, uh, so to say it's not sexual, it wasn't sexual in an adult way. Yeah. It was a physical release and a mm-hmm. physical soothing. Yeah. And my mom tells me that she told me when she saw me doing it, mm-hmm. oh, you need to do that in your room. Yes. That's private, which mm-hmm. is a great response. And yeah. you know, my mom didn't talk really formally to me about sex. It wasn't, you know, a super open conversation, but she did buy me different books, like where did you come from and what's happening to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, she taught me, I believe that I was taught that sex should be reserved for marriage Mm -hmm. or at least for a very serious relationship when I was older. So it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was a sexually liberal household. (laughs) Yeah, It was a naked liberal household. My dad was, (laughs) they were always naked. I was like, oh my God. My boyfriend in high school was like, oh, he's in his tidy whities and he just worked out. (laughs) Seriously, this is my life. I don't know how I even had a boyfriend. It's amazing. (laughs) He left shortly thereafter. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, I'm on my way out. My dad was the secret weapon to get rid of them. But I, so... It was kind of normal for me. Uh, When you talk about how there are these two sides to masturbation, one of shame and Mm -hmm. one of 
hypersexualized objectification. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that often comes from porn, mm-hmm. mainstream porn, where a woman who looks a very specific way with very long nails is jamming something into her vagina in and out, in and yeah. out, in and out, in and out. And she's making lots of noise yeah. or she's using something that's phallic shaped. Yeah. And then she's squirting everywhere. Right. It's yeah, everywhere. It's, uh, and she, yeah, exactly. And she's, the orgasm is audible to all of her neighbors. And so I can explain that my masturbation looks very different. Yeah. So I don't talk a ton about my body. And the reason I don't is that as a woman in this field and in the public eye, we're constantly being harassed and sexualized. Mm-hmm. And so I'll remind you not to harass or sexualize me <laughs> yes. as I share my story. But I, yeah. for me, it's a rubbing on the outside. Yeah. It's a pulling on the outside mm-hmm. and I squeeze my legs together yes. and I point my toes mm-hmm. and I often relate it to climbing those high ceiling ropes in gym class Yeah, when you're like wrapping your legs around something. And even when I'm having intercourse, that's what feels good for me. And that is not what is considered sexy looking, Mm -hmm. right? I'm not bouncing up and down. I'm not popping my hips. Mm -hmm. I'm doing something that feels really genuine for me. And I'm lucky enough to have a partner who is really turned on by genuine pleasure Mm -hmm. as opposed to performance. I'm not saying you can't do things that are performative. There's nothing wrong with enjoying performance also. But so that's what it looks like for me. Toys-wise, so disclaimer, I work a lot with WeVibe, but they have like this broad range of toys. So I'm in love with the WeVibe Wish, Hmm. which is sort of the shape of a a computer mouse, but a little Hmm. rounder on the edges, more triangular. And it's soft and plush, and it just wraps around the outside really nicely. Hmm. It's a beautiful toy. And then for partnered sex, I'm a, a fan of the Pivot, which is a penis ring that is sort of angled nicely so you can use it in lots of different intercourse positions. Hmm. Yeah. I'll have to look both of those up. Yes. Um, I'm sure we can send you them if you want them. (laughs) Yeah. I would love to try them out. Um, Yeah. I'm so glad I asked this question again because it it does literally just what I said before I asked it, that it helps normalize what you experience, the squeezing of the legs. Again, you really got to watch Big Mouth and, and then we should talk about it. But Missy, this character who apparently I'm very similar to, uh, she has this little stuffed animal and they show where, you know, she's, they're in elementary school and she's just like squeezing this little guy with her legs and she's just like humping him and, you know, just really putting him in there. And uh, her mom says that. Her mom is like, yeah, like, you know, just make sure you play with him in your room. That's and great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I loved that. Um, and... Yeah, I completely relate to the squeezing. Sometimes I just wake up and I realize I'm just like squeezing my thighs together. And it's just like so incredibly pleasurable. And I'm like, I don't know what's happening. It's like I'm half asleep, half awake. But there is that really intense squeezing that happens. And I think even doing that during sex feels very good as well. I love that half asleep, half awake. Have you ever had sleep sex? Yes. Yes. I'm like I'm not like a horny morning or afternoon person. Mm-hmm. I'm like a, I come alive in the nighttime kind of gal. Okay, okay. And I love that like when I start to get a little deliriously tired. Yes. That kind of sex, yes. just like a hot and heavy makeout where you're like you're kind of in and out of that sleep. I, that. I think that's just so sexy. A few times in our lives 
we've woken up having sex. And like we were both so like full sexomnia. Yeah. And so there are issues around this, obviously around consent and, wow. and around people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the context of my relationship is yeah. amazing because wow. nobody had to do any work. Because, <laughs> you know, like you're super tired, you get to bed and yeah. you want to do it, but you're like, oh, I'm so tired. And then I'm like, did we just do that while we were sleeping? Like if I could clean the house, yeah. cook a meal, file the taxes and do wow. the sex and you get the pleasure and yeah. it's, it's euphoric. It's only happened... I don't know if it's only happened for us two or three times, Mm -hmm. but sometimes when I'm so tired, I'll fall asleep and be like, hope that happens tonight. (laughs) I'll even say to my husband, I'm like, you have consent to do this while I'm sleeping. I mean, I'll wake up, obviously. Like you wake Mm up, but it's like such a cool thing. (laughs) such a cool experience. (laughs) See, I don't think I've ever had that experience, but that does sound very cool. (laughs) So great. With the right person, you know, with that consent. It's been years for me. It's been years. I can't remember the last time. It's a rare thing. the sleep genies could just, you know, put that yes. out there in the universe yes. for me. Well, you're putting it out there now in the universe. So <laughs> you have to text me tomorrow morning. <laughs> Let me know. Oh no, not tonight. I have a very early flight. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, could you share where people could find you if someone wants to follow some of your work, follow your podcast, follow the morning show you're on frequently, follow your Instagram? Yeah, I'm Sex with Dr. Jess on Instagram, sexwithdrjess.com, and the podcast is, you guessed it, Sex with Dr. Jess. <laughs> Quite simple. So make sure you guys check her out. And honestly, I have absolutely loved all of this conversation, and there's so much more we could go into. But thank you so much for everything that you've shared, both personally and just educationally and, and experiential wise. I've super appreciated it, and I know been really beneficial for listeners to hear all of this. Thank you. It's been great. Yeah. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for making it all the way through and keeping your ears, your hearts, and your minds open. It would mean so much to me if you could take a second or two after listening to this episode to leave a review on iTunes and let me know what you're enjoying about the show. I love reading You know what your favorite episodes are, where you guys listen, um, and definitely feel free to share this with a friend. I mean, part of how we break down the stigmas around these topics is by talking about them, right? And and sharing them with more people. So definitely share the podcast. Um, and again, really wanting to include all of you in this podcast. So if you have questions or you want to share a thought or an experience, please send in a voice memo to ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. And I'm really excited to keep having these conversations and uh, breaking down these stigmas. So thank you all so, so, so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I'll talk to you next time. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives. And so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.